All right, if you would be turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, actually. We will read verses 1 through 3, and then we'll pick it up in 13, and we'll read beyond what I'm going to cover. But I think you need to hear it in context, because 13, 1 through 7 is not, it doesn't sit by itself. It is in the context of at minimum 12 through 15 or 16, right? And is modified by what is said in 12, most importantly, uh, but also is from Romans 1 forward, right? We can't forget, we can't be ashamed of the gospel, right? That is the thing that is supposed to influence us the most. And so as we hear from God's word, we need to be careful that we don't place the wrong emphasis upon the wrong syllable. Again, this is not a text about government. It's going to talk about civil governance. It's going to talk about some ways in which we are to engage civil governance. But that is in reference to mission, not in reference to what the government should or shouldn't do. Okay? So as we step into the text, uh, let me give you the key truth that I'd love for you to have. is that God calls us to submit in him, or to him as sovereign king and how we engage civil authorities for his glory, our joy, and the life of the world by his grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. You may say, man, these things just keep getting longer. Well, all of that modification needs to be there. Because if we're going to talk about how we're to engage civil authorities, we've got to make sure that we keep the true freight of our theology with us. Because we are quick to forget Unless you think that uh, I am some tree-hugging, sissy liberal, uh, I, I have revolutionary blood in my veins, right? I'm a radical individualist. I am a lone wolf left to my own devices. I, I'm, I'm probably closer in ideology to the far, far right and the far, far left. Antifa, which part of their ideology is, let's just all govern ourselves. If you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. Well, that doesn't work because i got to buy coffee at some point. And I got to buy eggs at some point, which are like $300 a pound or something. I don't know. And so, so left to my own devices, right? I am as revolutionary as any one of you in this room, I would bet. And, and as far from Christ as any one of you in that ideology. And so, so let, me, let me be very clear. What I just didn't say, so no one tweet this, no one Snapchat this. I did not just say I agree with Antifa. No, I didn't. I said, I agree with all extremists in saying, you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. But that ain't how the world works, and that ain't even God's mission. To say, you leave me alone, is to say, I would rather you go to hell than me be bothered. You understand? That's not good. And, and that is who I am. Now, you want to tweet that? But make sure you hashtag needs Jesus afterwards. And then hashtag has Jesus afterwards. All right. Enough about me. Let's talk about the text. This is Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but... Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Did you hear that? So that modifies everything that follows. So if, if, if we are to go on, we have to first ask, what is the will of God? 
Well, the will of God is not as, uh, as, as small, but it's not, it does include this, but it's not as small as where should I live, who should I marry, what school should I go to, where should I park, what store should I shop at, who should I support in the election. God's will is first governed by redemption. You understand? Like everything that he's concerned with. So anybody you marry, his will is that it be redemptive, that it would exalt Jesus, which is why Paul tells you not to be unequally yoked. What school you go to is governed by how is it going to draw you closer to the Lord? That should be your question. How's it going to draw you closer to him in and through, whether it's the college ministries or a local church or whatever it may be? And every other decision, what store you shop at, who you vote for, you have to think what's going to bring the greatest redemption in Christ. That should govern how we think about everything. And to not be conformed to this world, think about how just once you start talking about uh, governance and history, you get well into the world very, very quickly. And the dirt of the world can't help but cake onto us, and we can't help but be confused and blinded and deafened to what the Lord desires. We are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, but for what? Well, the mission. The mission of God, which is the Abrahamic covenant, which is to bless this great nation, all nations. Of which we were not the first, by the way. There was a nation that came before us that he chose specifically as his people of which we are in that lineage because of what they did, because of what Christ did. We were not first. And therefore, we don't get to dictate what the mission is. He does. For he is Lord and he has called us to it. And so if that doesn't govern our thinking... If that doesn't cause us to ask what ways in which we should repent, what ways in which we should change our thinking, you're being unbiblical. I'm being unbiblical because this is what is to govern us. Then he goes on to say, for by by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. What is the measure of faith that God assigned? Jesus. How did Jesus deal with the civil government? He hardly ever addressed them because they weren't the problem. They weren't the problem, you understand? They were a problem, but they were not the problem. And so it is interesting, if we're going to look like Jesus, where we should focus our time, effort, and energy. Now, that's not to say, I didn't just say you shouldn't vote. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Render to to whom it is necessary. Vote. Be involved civically, please, but do so as Christians who are formed by Christ and informed by Scripture, as opposed to rage, anger, fear, and foolishness. And so we are to function according to Christ. So this is the governing principle before we talk about anything else. And then, as it goes on, verse 9 tells us, let love be genuine. This is to govern everything that we do. So you have to ask yourself, when you post something, when you say something, when you engage in something, is my love in this genuine? How will you know? Well, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked. You will know if it exalts Jesus. That's genuine love. 
you will know if it actually calls you to repentance. You will know if it is guided by and informed by Scripture and the mission of God. That is genuine love. So let us hit the text that we're more concerned with, which is 13, 1 through 7, but I'm going to read through 10 because that has to modify as well. Let every person... I'm sorry, what, 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 what's the translation of every in the Greek? Every. Why is that important? Because some of us don't think he's talking to us. We think that the circumstance can dictate and change our behavior and obedience. We think that the circumstance can change the fact that we're still on mission. No, it doesn't. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong... Be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, what governs how you relate to various civil authorities? This is a great question for you to really think through and put before the Lord. Right? And if you're honest, it changes, right? It changes based on who's in office in varying ways. Right? If, if, it, if it's the guy we voted for, nothing but respect. If it's a guy I didn't vote for, every word under the microscope. Now, we accuse the media of doing that, but who's the media selling this to? You, me, us. And so, so that, or, or you are governed by safety and security. You may not care who's in the White House so long as you don't have to pay more than $4 for a gallon of gas. You will take whoever it is just so long as you can buy eggs for less than $2, right? That's dangerous too, by the way, because that's actually what the Antichrist is going to offer, you understand? Peace and affordable food. And we won't question who he is. We won't question his politics. We won't question the fact that he says you've got to worship these frogs, which is pretty weird, that should signal us, but that's how foolish we can, that's how much we can be bewitched if we are not careful. So what is it that governs how you engage with the civil authorities? And there's 
um, in America, we have multiple layers, right? Your trash man, the water guy, the gas man, the electricity guy, your internet provider. I don't think they're really a civil authority, but they have a lot of authority over your life. They can put you in a show hole faster than anybody on this planet, right? Which is, we're more afraid of that than anything else. And so we need to ask this question honestly of ourselves. What is it that governs how we engage with civil authorities? How we speak of them. Now, you got to be careful. This isn't just about you writing a letter to your senator or posting about somebody. It's even how you think of them, talk about them. Because that is affecting your heart and your mind more than you know. I have spent quite a bit of time uh, with a number of friends over this last couple of weeks who are leaving ministry. Um, and I'm beginning to, 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 to wonder, like, what in the world is going on? I mean, it's in such numbers and, and so many that I know personally that, that it's, it, it's astonishing. You know what the one thing is they all say? Various things have happened to them, but there's one thing. You want to hear it? The division in the church over politics and COVID absolutely destroyed me. And you may say, that was weak. Uh-uh-uh. I would, I'll put you in the dock. I'd love to have you be the point person for all of these things. I'd love to have you be the one to police the internet. You go right ahead and tell me if you still have that same energy as you see the darkness of the heart of man. That, that people who are supposed to be ministers of Christ, besmirching, mocking, belittling one another. Now, let me say this to you just so you're wondering if, if this is a preamble to my resignation. <laughs> Not today. Not today. You all actually were very, very gracious to me, and I, I count that uh, as very important. I know there were ones of you who showed up for worship who the last thing on this planet you ever wanted to do was wear a mask. But you showed up. You still tried to leave it below your nose when you sang. I saw you. I saw your heart. You tried to act like you didn't know what the instructions were. You're like, oh, just dangling from the ears, not what we're doing here? No. You knew better. You're grown. But, but I let you get away with it because you were close enough. And then some of you even dealt with it without anybody having to say anything to you. But you didn't send me a bunch of emails or the session or anybody on the session. Y'all were gracious to us. And so we got miles on the tires that a lot of these guys don't. And I'm thankful for that. I'm grateful for that. I don't know why you did it. I don't want to know why you did it. I'm just thankful you did if it was in honor to the Lord, amen. If it was in protest of something else, keep that to yourself, right? And so, and so this, is, this is a significant issue for us right now. We're using, so any of you listen to the podcast, uh, The Rest is History with Tom Holland? Yeah, yeah, great podcast. They're British. They're actually beginning to use the term civil war in reference to American circumstance, that is not good. That is not good. And we need to be careful about what we are saying about it and what we're gearing up to do and how we're thinking about what's either coming or not coming. And so the mission remains, the call remains for us to be ambassadors of what? Reconciliation. And that don't mean I'm reconciling you with bullets. That don't mean I'm reconciling you with rhetoric. I'm reconciling you with mockery. No, that is reconciliation in Christ, who did not function that way. 
who loved us. Do you, do you not think that Christ could have mocked any one of us? Do you not think that Christ had the right to not die for us? But he did. And we have been worse than any who will come after. We're as bad as everybody else. We're just as in need. So it is important that we hear this text with those things in view. There's also something else you need to hear. Because this text, the way it is, the way it is translated, makes it a little difficult. You might hear it and say, well, then, then this is the divine right of kings. They can do whatever they want. No, they can't. How do we know that? Well, Revelation 13 calls this very same governance by some nasty names that I won't say here. This very same government is going to fall under the same judgment, by the way. Right? It's the Roman government, which, by the way, was not good, nice. Now, they wanted peace. They created peace that allowed the gospel to go forward. That was accidental on their part. It was providential in God's hands. So we need to be careful that he's not saying something about a governance that we know to be totalitarian and brutal, that is actually good. He's actually trying to tell us about a governance that is over that governance. You need to make sure that you hear this as God is sovereign and in control and your submission is to him in whatever circumstance that you are in. So let's get back into the text as Paul challenges us to be a gracious witness to the civil authorities. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Now, this is important because what he's not saying is that we are to blindly follow and do whatever the government says. How do I know this? Well, we have many examples of those who were conscientious objectors or those who went against the local governance, went against what was put upon them, right? Daniel. Scooped up by Babylon, taken away, right? He, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all showed us what it looks like to actually push against a government like Levin, willing to pay the consequence without violence on their part. Did you hear that? Every single dissident in Scripture was willing to pay the consequence by the civil authority that they were resisting without the shedding of blood, unless it was their own. Remember what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said as they were about to be sent into a fiery furnace. They said, if it is God's will, we will live. If it is God's will, we will die. Either way, what we won't do is bow the knee to Baal or bow the knee to your God, Dagon. So they were willing to die for it, but not taking a whole group of people with them. Look, I grew up watching Red Dawn, right? I, I was all, the most frustrating part of that film to me is C. Thomas Howell, if you remember his character, he's standing in front of the rock as the Russian helicopter comes over the horizon, and he's got a, a, an M60, right? Which you could, with the right hitting of the right, I mean, I, don't, I ain't done it myself, but I think you could shoot down that helicopter with an M60. He's standing there. And he just, he screams, Wolverine! And he just gets obliterated, okay? And I'm thinking, you idiot. Why were you not behind the rock? Shoot from behind the rock, right? <laughs> but he wanted to go out in style, and he did. He got to yell Wolverine on his last breath. 
So I, I get it. Like all this, like I, I am the same spirit of all these things is in my head as well. I have that same mentality. You want to try to take, take me down, I'm going to take as many of you with me as I can. That's how I grew up. That's, so, but that's not the gospel. That is not the gospel. And so it is important that we recognize that this call to subjection is also a call to the subjection to who God is and what he would have us to do. It doesn't mean just blindly going along. It doesn't mean you can't critique the local government, but it does govern how. That's very important. It's not saying that you shouldn't say that abortion is evil. It is wicked to its very core. We've turned it into an industry. We've turned it into something that is dividing the church over something called reproductive rights. This sounds like insanity to me. Right? But bombing an abortion clinic? That ain't it. That's not it. Working through the court systems is. Voting in certain ways certainly is. Besmirching the character of the individuals who are, who are bewitched by these things, just as you were bewitched at one point, Paul would tell us at the end of Philippians, you don't battle flesh and blood, you battle principalities and powers. Here's what's important for you to know. Satan cannot be saved. He can't. He is the principality and power. However, the instrument in Satan's hands, just as you and I once were, can. That has to govern us. That has to influence us, no matter how evil the instrument portrays itself. I wish you could have known me in one part back when I was as evil as I could possibly be. As far from Christ, as full of vitriol as I could possibly be. As mocking and condescending as you've never seen. Praise be to God that he did not choose to let me go. And the same ought to be true. This ought to be our desire as we engage these things. We have to engage them. I've said this before. We've got to be the most creative, humble, redemptive people in any given room. We have to have hope, even when it doesn't look like it. We are destroying the next generation with our rhetoric, I hate to tell you. If we're going to hand them no hope, why are we concerned about them leaving the church that offers them nothing the world doesn't already give them and better. If all they hear from us is you guys are ruining everything. You're a bunch of snowflakes. You're a bunch of sissies. You can't walk up the hill both ways to school in the snow with no shoes, no pants. Right? You, you have no grit. How? I'm sorry. That is not encouraging. That is not helping to build up. If you're concerned about the next generation, I'm going to plug it again. Sign up for second through fifth grade. Catch them before they get wild. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so, and so we, we are engaging in some things in some ways that is more costly to the church than actually beneficial. we got to think that through. we got to repent. we got to be willing to put ourselves in the dock and ask other people, what do you think about this? Here's what I'm seeing. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's where I'm battling hopelessness. Let's, talk, let, let's engage that. Engage it in the space that is safe and will point you to the gospel, not in the space that's going to point you to the worldly solution. So every person has to be subject to the governing authorities. No one gets out from under this edict. And to be subject means 
to function within. It doesn't mean that it's blind submission. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So civil governance is God's idea. You understand? Like if you look at even the new heavens and new earth, there's going to be a governance, right? There's the, the, the 12 thrones on which will sit the people who represent the 12 tribes. They will govern. God will be present and he will govern. It is a good thing to have civil governance. Civil being the key word, meaning as much as how we interact as what it's referring to otherwise. And so this is God's idea. He created it for us to help us. It's not, civil governance is not a response to the fall. That's very important for you to know. Now, it is deeply affected by the fall, right? It is deeply affected by the fall, but yet it is still under God's sovereignty. Do I have questions? A hundred percent. So did Habakkuk, by the way. You remember, Habakkuk was looking at the circumstance in Israel and he said, innocent blood is being shed and God, you're not doing anything about it. Every one of the civil authorities has, is corrupt and collapsing. And God says, all right, I'm going to take care of it. I'm sending the Babylonians. But what? Those dudes have no chill. They kill everybody. They worship their net hooks. They worship their nets. They're lunatics. He wasn't wrong, was he? But God said, you got to trust me, Habakkuk. Because Habakkuk, you understand, would be one of those going into exile. He was not going to get out of it because he was a good man. Everybody was going to go, except actually for the poor and the elderly. For as brutal as the Babylonians were, they treated the Israelite poor and elderly better than the Israelites did, you understand. Think about that for a second. And so Habakkuk had to trust that the Lord was sovereign even over these lunatics that would actually preserve, you have Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they get swept up in this. I would argue Nebuchadnezzar becomes a Christian, right? They stayed on mission. They stayed on point. They continued to pray. They continued to engage. At no point did they say, we are going to fight our way out of here. Now, it's interesting for those of you who know anything about history and some biblical stuff, there are three books that actually detail a group of revolting zealots. It's fascinating reading. It's called 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Maccabees. It's a group of Jews, and they fought to the last man. This is like 300-style stuff, right? Which is kind of like C. Thomas Howell standing in front of the rock type stuff. And so notice, you, we have a historical record that was considered for the Bible about a group of revolutionaries who all were destroyed and died valiantly that doesn't make it in the canon. Right? Have you ever read The Charge of the Light Brigade? One of my favorite poems. Love that poem. It's based on a real thing. A group of, of Prussian soldiers stormed a, a series of cannon mounts, and they, they were old school. They were horses and swords, none of this gun stuff. Okay? I mean, they looked good. They were dressed to the nines, had their sword. I mean, they, they probably terrified maybe the squirrels or something, but they didn't terrify the guys with the cannons who had the secure position. And they blow them to absolute smithereens. But they looked good. They held to the old ways. They had their, their way of doing things. And we have this great poem 
And I, there's a book, actually, that you should read if you're interested called The Reason Why. The Reason Why They Did It. And so, and so it, it is interesting that that, that that is essentially the Maccabees. They fought. They got a book, some stuff written about them. They don't make it in Scripture because it's not God's way. And it shouldn't be our way. And so it is important that we recognize civil governance is God's idea and he is sovereign over it even when it is most evil. Because if he's not somehow sovereign over it and can't intervene, what hope do you have? Some real world dissidents, one of which is a guy named Richard Wormbrand. Everybody heard of him? He didn't take anybody with him in the wrong way. He took a bunch of people with him in terms of the gospel. He shared the gospel with people and that began to really change things. There's another dissident named Vaclav Havel who... It was very subversive. He wrote these plays that the Russia, that the, the, the communists, they didn't understand, they didn't get. But they entertained the people. But like Levin, Havel was introducing ideas that were the right kind of revolutionary that permeated, and suddenly, uh, over time, the government was overthrown and he was made prime minister. But he didn't pick up the gun, he didn't pick up the sword, he didn't shed blood. That is how the kingdom works. Think of what Jesus says about the kingdom. We are to be leaven. The kingdom is like the leaven. Leaven, it, it, it permeates, right? So, so we're, kingdoms, we're a kingdom inside of kingdoms. And what we are called to do is serve as leaven and let the gospel do its work slow and sure over time according to the Lord's timing, not our frustration, safety, or security. He goes on, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Did you hear that? You need to understand that any resistance that you give to the civil authorities, you are resisting what God appointed, so it better be for God's reason that you resist. That's very important. And you better be clear that it's God's reason and not something that you've come up with, some twisting of the things of Scripture themselves. And he says, and those who resist will incur judgment. By whom? God himself. Notice as it goes on, it says, escape God's wrath. Not, not the wrath of, uh, of, of Idi Amin. Not the wrath of Hitler. Not, not the wrath, ultimately, of, of Pol Pot. Not the wrath of Jimmy Carter. I know, I'm glad some of y'all got that. <laughs> I know that that brings up more questions than I can answer. There's no, no answer I could give you that is satisfactory other than if God is not sovereign, we are all in trouble. Amen. Right? And I don't, I don't know why he chooses the times and the places that he chooses to do what he does. But what I do know is he is in control and what we are hearing here is that ultimately, we have to trust in him. Ultimately, we have to look to him. Ultimately, we have to be defined by him as we engage in this circumstance. Now, why would he be talking about civil governance to the people in Rome? Right? I mean, they, this was an issue for them. Remember that the governor, Quirinius, had kicked the Jews out at one point. So there would have been a desire to oppose local governance None of them like taxation. The zealots in the 50s AD, uh, Tacitus writes about this, if you're interested, they were violently opposed to paying taxes, more so than any of you. 
And so he's having to deal with a group of people who are being influenced by a revolutionary spirit who was going to actually cost the church more than it would gain. He goes on, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Now this is very important. What is our conduct supposed to be dictated by regardless of who's in charge? We read it in eight, one, uh, verses 8 through 10. God's law, love, right? That's what's supposed to govern. So, so this good conduct is not a, a mention of you do what someone tells you blindly. No, good conduct is what is pleasing to the Lord. And ultimately, any good that you're going to receive from any civil governance will come through that. Everything else is dangerous. One of the places that there is no separation of church and state is marriage. Now, I'm going to argue, I don't have time to fully flesh this out here. You do know that our tax-exempt status is tied to the fact that we were willing to be agents of the state when it comes to marriage, which has come back to haunt us a bit, has it not, with DOMA and some other things. We don't know how to live without that tax break. You understand that, like, if they start taxing us tomorrow, 40% of our income is gone, at least, off the top. Now, are you going to make up the difference to make sure that the gospel goes forward? Would that we had never known that benefit because it put us in a, in a bad position when it comes to the state, which sooner or later, as R.C. Sproul said, as long as you are nice and stay on your little reservation as a church and don't cause any trouble, the government will smile at you and you're good. The minute you step off your reservation for mission, she will meet you with a snarl and a sword. Now, Sproul said that like back in the 80s when Reagan was in power. When it seemed like halcyon days for Christianity in America. And so, interestingly, what we're being told here is that we are... Because notice, this is even true for Daniel, right? He had good conduct. He asked if he could have a different diet. He and his friends, God gave him favor. Remember Joseph, who found himself in prison... God gave him favor because of his good conduct. Even under tyrannical, totalitarian leaders, you can, we can receive God's favor. But so much of it's going to depend on, do we look anything like God? And when we do, there is the opportunity for us to experience favor. Now, you may say, what about martyrs? They get to go be with Jesus. Paul would say to live as Christ, to die is gain. They get to not have to worry about any of this civil nonsense anymore. And so, he goes on, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good. Good according to the civil authority? No. Good according to the Lord our God. According to his will. And you will receive approval for he is God's servant for your good. Now, one of the examples that we have is Travis Sawyer in Masamara, Kenya. Travis is one of the few folks who they're still letting, they're letting him build these schools. Whereas other religious organizations, because of the way they've handled some things, they've shut them down. The, the, a number of years ago, less than five, he was deeply concerned because the government was starting to tighten down and kick uh, uh, expats out of certain areas. 
because they were tired of a variety of things, which a lot of it was financial mismanagement and some other things as well. But they came to Travis and told him, no, you have done nothing but good for us. We will allow you to continue. Now, may they someday come and say otherwise? Absolutely. Does it mean that Travis did something bad? No, I don't think it does. But he's made it this far and had the impact that he's had for God's kingdom because what he does is according to God's obedience and law. He loves those people in Masamara deeply. He first made sure they had water. Now he's making sure they have education and health care. He's a wonderful, beautiful example of that. I'm not suggesting, by the way, that the stocks got kicked out of India because they weren't doing good. No, that noose was tightened hard and deep. However, the church they were a part of continues because of the good they did do. And amen and praise God. And the Lord is now going to send them into another circumstance where it's going to be even more against the law to share the gospel. Well done, good and faithful servants. And so he goes on. Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. Whose approval? Ultimately, God's. That's what you need. You need God's approval in both seasons where everything is going good and in seasons when it is not. Right? When is the most dangerous time in all of Israel's history? When she was fat and happy. It's when she was, was arrogant toward the poor and the least of these. Forgot her mission. And what did the Lord do? He sent another kind of governance. The Lord over them. You had your shot, but now I'm going to have to send a, a people that you, you're not going to want to bow to, but you're going to have to. And the gospel will grow. It'll continue to go. And he goes on. Um, but if you are wrong, be afraid, for he does not, bear this, this, does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath. Did you hear that? Whose wrath? The wrath of the, the, the civil authority? That's not what it says. It says God's wrath. If you're going to function in ways that are outside of God's will and what God would have us to do for redemption and reconciliation, it is ultimately God's wrath you are bearing. Now, is that true for every person who's been martyred? Uh, has, no, this isn't a, a, a conversation about if you died, you were wrong and otherwise. This is saying, ultimately, what you need to do is make sure that you are consistent with God's way and God's character, his righteousness. It is the righteous who live by faith. He says, therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. What does that mean? It's so that we can live out the mission and not live in fear and be on the run. So that we don't have to worry about what the civil authority is going to do to us. We leave that to the Lord to decide. We are careful to stay on mission. Now, here's where I think we're, where the problem is. Uh, too many of us ain't on mission. Too many of us are just concerned with trying to live out our quotidian everyday lives with no sense of being directed by God's mission. Now, did I just say, if you have a bunch of kids that you hate the gospel? No, that is a wonderful thing. You are part of the Abrahamic covenant, helping to fill the church with covenant children. Amen and amen and thank you. And in service to that, that is your mission, right? Making the decisions that you make to raise your children in the admonition of the Lord in the various ways that you choose to do that, 
is amazing. Keep doing that. Make your decisions based on God's love, God's law. For those of you who are working in circumstances that you don't feel like you have a lot of time for this thing called mission. See, this is our problem. We don't think that all of life is mission. Right? Like even how you cut your grass is mission. I don't know if any of you have heard of the comedian Nate Bargatze, but he says uh, in his most recent special, Hello World, he says, the guy that we uh, have cut our grass is my wife. And because she likes to cut the grass, I have said, okay, that's fine, but you now have to go tell all of your neighbors that I'm not making you do it. <laughs> like, even how we engage in things that our neighbors can see matters. It, it matters to mission. And we've talked about this before, that one of, one of my neighbors came over and started talking to us because he was concerned that I was making Susan cut grass with a push mower while I did the riding mower, that that wasn't her choice. And so we, we began a relationship, and we shared the gospel with Ken. And Ken uh, started attending Church of the Apostles and getting involved with Samaritan's Purse. I don't know if he's fully in the kingdom, but he's sure is closer than he was when we started. And so it's not to say that mission is this very specific thing that you have to go and do. It's a mindset that you have to carry with you in all that you engage, Right? from how you treat the, the, the waitress or barista or whomever it is that you engage with in commerce matters a whole bunch. You know why it's been hard to find people to work in restaurants and any sort of uh, human engagement industry? Uh, I'll go back to COVID again and the division, and people were just horrible in how they treated those people, and they said, this ain't worth it. So we have opportunities to remain on mission in every riven place that we are, every sphere of influence. So I'll say it again, as I've said before, I'm not asking you to do anything new. I'm asking you to change how you think about what you currently do. And that includes how we engage civil authorities. It has to have mission as part of it. And he gets into very specifically here, paying of taxes, which was a concern for them, a very specific concern in their context that we, by the way, started an entire war over and began a country over, right? Taxation without representation? We ain't tolerating that. Not for one second. We'll fight you with sticks and stones, right? And so that still is kind of courses through our blood. It's not a bad thing for us to hear. Where do you want to waste your time? Where do you want to run afoul of the civil governance and how's that going to affect your mission, the mission that God has called each and every one of us to? And I want to remind you that everyone who, who went against the civil governance, did not do so. You cannot find a biblical example where they did it with the intent of shedding the blood of others other than applying the shed blood of Christ and being willing to pay for it themselves. Too much of what I hear from us is we ain't willing to pay for our decisions. We're not willing to pay the consequences. In fact, we only want to meet them out. That's arrogant. That's not of God. Listen to what Augustine says, or Augustine, depending on where you're from in the world. For even though we are called into the kingdom where there will be no temporal authority, nonetheless, while we are on this journey, until we have reached that world where every principality and power will be voided, let us endure our condition for the sake of everyday social order doing nothing falsely and rendering obedience, not so much to men as to God who commands these things. 
And that everyday social order would also include the ability to share and spread the gospel. So, I ask you, what ought to govern how we relate to the various civil authorities? Love, God's word, God's law, God's character, God's mission. That is what ought to govern. If you have any questions about that, if, if you're wondering, okay, well, here's something I'm really upset about, something I'm really struggling with. I don't want my grandchildren to have to deal with this. Hey, let's talk about that. Wrestle with it in spirit and truth. Don't wrestle with it in anger. Don't wrestle with it divisively. Don't wrestle with it online where I am not located and can't say anything back to you. You're quartered safe, so you think. Let's actually have conversations about this that help us become more and more biblical, more and more biblically focused. I'm not saying I have all of the answers for every riven circumstance, but what I do know is Scripture. And what I do know is Jesus. What I do know is the mission. Not perfectly, but this is where we need to be of help to each other and stop. You, you are not speaking for yourself alone. So many of you, when you speak, if somebody finds out you go to Christ Community Church, they immediately assume we're as bad as you are. And we're, we're not in some of this. Both sides, all sides. And so, church, would we with great humility have the courage to bear fruits in keeping with repentance and to grow on a subject matter that is mission critical? We are divided. If you think you're struggling with what you just heard, think about someone who is struggling with what happened to Tyree Nichols. The man was handcuffed. They were punching him in the face. I don't care what he did prior to that. There's no justification for that from a civil authority. He should not have lost his life in this way. So how, how is someone who's struggling and worried about something like that supposed to hear what we just read? How are we to come alongside someone who, who is really concerned. This is a genuine fear and reality in some cases. So it's not just one side that this is imposing upon. It is all sides. And it is important that we recognize we have to have a firm foundation and a central point from which to have that conversation. Otherwise, we will just wind up hopelessly divided. So Romans 13, 1 through 7 teaches us that God calls us to submit to him as sovereign king and how we engage civil authorities for his glory, our joy, and the life of the world by his grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. We need all that freight in order to be able to understand. 